Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about our church's Holy Week services when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20, 18 through 26, called Christ is the End of the Law. The Bible will go on to say, if there's anything behind an idol, it's demonic. But don't make an idol for yourselves. Notice the idea of yourselves. You know, Walter Martin put it in his great style. He said, more people than you can shake a stick at, shave their God every morning. And not to leave the ladies out, curl her hair. Self-idolatry is, has permeated the West. Everything's about self today. Our idols are looking back at us in the mirror, brethren. And this is the issue. Not to mention all the other things that come at us. And God will tell his people later in Jeremiah, my people have forgotten me. Jeremiah eighteen fifteen, They burn incense to worthless gods. They have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths, to walk in bypaths, not on a highway. My people don't remember Sinai. They don't remember who I am. How could they ever think that making something with a tool would, by comparison, have anything close to me? Yet, in a uh, just, uh, what, 10 chapters from now, 12 chapters from now, they're going to make a golden calf and start worshiping it. What is wrong with them? But then again, it's not hard for us to leave church and then have idols in our lives. It can be very sneaky, right? How this all works, especially in Western culture. And so the warning, the remembrance, the sense of the need of mediation ultimately going to be fulfilled in Christ. And then, something interesting, God says, you shall make an altar of earth for me. You shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, Please note this if you mark your Bible. Two offerings here. Your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. Your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Isn't it interesting that as we see this amazing scene and the people are stepping back, the need for mediation, all of a sudden an altar of sacrifice is introduced. We say, why? Because the need for sacrifice is essential to this picture. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You say, well, how does this work and why an altar? And why this whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament? Here's why. Because God is so holy. Think of the mountain. Think of Sinai that he must judge sin. And if he judges by his Ten Commandments, everybody's in trouble, right? So what does, what does God do to make man right with him so he can actually approach God and have a relationship with God? Well, his sin must be atoned for. His sin is the separator, right? And so all of a sudden, an altar is introduced. And if you want a simple definition of an altar, an altar is a place for sacrifice. An altar is a place for of slaughter, literally, but we could say a place of sacrifice. So an altar is introduced with two different offerings. The first one is known as a whole burnt offering. It's uh, 
captured in the word hola, which in Spanish means hello. Uh, has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I thought you might meet. need just a little levity right now. So it's not that when you did the sacrifice, you said hola or anything like that. But anyway, so the Hebrew word for altar, mizbach, the place of sacrifice or slaughter, and then two offerings, the burnt offering where the animal, let me just paint the picture for you. So the, we're about to study the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle was the tent that Moses was instructed to make. And then there were pieces of furnishing within the tent or the tabernacle. The first piece, the first thing that you would run into when you came through the single entrance into the tabernacle was called the place, the altar of burnt sacrifice or the altar to slaughter. You could not, as a lay person, that's as far as you could go. Only the priest could move beyond that. Without a sacrifice, you can't go into the holy place. You can't go into the holy of holies. You can't move beyond into the sweetness of the presence of God. Now, we come into the holy of holies. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated through the veil of his flesh. But in the Old Testament picture, there's a need for an animal to die. Why? Well, if you read Leviticus 1, you'll get a whole treatment on burnt offering. And I would encourage you to do this. And if you read Leviticus 3, you'll get a whole treatment on peace offerings. The only difference between a burnt offering and a peace offering is simply this. The burnt offering, when the animal was killed, the whole animal was consumed by fire. In the peace offering... Parts of the animal could be eaten. Only the fat was consumed by fire. And if you want to get into this, if you want to brave Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, and you should, it's not that hard to to read and get the concepts. This is where it's laid out. So the offerer comes. The person comes. Let's just say Michael approaches the tabernacle, which we'll see later. And I come with a a lamb without spot or without defect, a one-year-old male And I come, and what I would do is I would lay my hands on the head of the animal, and I would confess my sins. And I would say, oh, Lord, please forgive me for A, B, C. And I would name my sins. And then the priest would take that animal, and some of you, this is going to help your diet, slit the throat of the animal. The blood would be taken and sprinkled on the side of the altar. Then the animal would be placed on top of what we might see as like a place of barbecue, literally. And it would be burned up in, with coals and fire and the smoke would ascend to God. And here's the repetition of a phrase in Leviticus 1 and 3. As a sweet smelling aroma up to God. Now, some wonder what's happening as one lays their hands on the head of, let's say, a lamb. Is there a transference of sin from that individual to that animal? I don't think necessarily I think it's more symbolic because there's a whole treatment on this in the book of Hebrews, especially reading chapters 9 and 10 of Hebrews. And here's what you're going to find. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? To take away sin. There was only a temporary appeasement or atonement or covering, if you will, but not a full cleansing because the moment you sinned again, you were right back in the same spot. But the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that by one offering, Jesus Christ has perfected us for all time by his one sacrifice. 
So there's no need for a repetition of offering over and over and over and over again. But here, when someone laid their hands on the animal, the innocent animal dies and the blood is shed and now that person has atonement for their sin. All of this ultimately pointing to the final sacrifice in Christ where from the cross he says, it is finished, which means what? Paid in full. Now we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. There's no need for that. It's been done. Jesus fulfills that. So you might say, well, then what is the New Testament Christian's obligation? Is there any sacrifice we make now? Yep. You know what it is? You come to an altar of prayer or an altar of surrender, and you know what you do? You now become a living, what? Sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to him which is your reasonable service in view of what? His great mercy. So when I come to the altar now, you know what I present? Not an animal for sacrifice. I come to present myself. Or if you want the image, I come to die. To Michael, to the flesh, to the world, etc. I come to present myself as a living sacrifice. John Corson put it this way, the problem with living sacrifices as opposed to dead ones is we tend to squirm off the altar. <laughs> we start looking around, do I really want to be here? You know? <laughs> right? We all know what a struggle it is to keep representing ourselves and dying to the flesh, but that is the battle in the new covenant. And so this is the image And God gives a little bit more detail through Moses. He says, if you make an altar 25 of stone for me, you shall not build it out of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. This is one author. He says, making altars out of square blocks, building step pyramids, worshiping naked, these are practices which were coming out of Mesopotamia. When the Canaanites worshiped idols, they did it on altars of finished stone, built high for show, as archaeologists have discovered. We also know that Canaanite worship was obscene, combining idolatry with ritual prostitution. We're going to see this. The Israelites are actually going to do this later. And other forms of indecent exposure, hence the idea of not building steps, uh, not exposing yourself. The idea here is worship, if, you want, if you're taking notes, Worship is to be filled with simplicity and purity. You see what just happened during this time of worship? It was simple and it was pure. Now there's going to be a place for a grand edifice. Solomon's going to build a grand temple to the Lord. And there's place for extravagance in the Christian life, right? Unto God, to give extravagantly to his kingdom, to worship him, etc. But here... God says, I want you to be distinct from that world that makes it all about show. It's all about how the stones are cut. It's all about how high the the place of sacrifice is. None of that with me. You keep it simple and you make it pure. And if you want to just simplify your Christian life, those are two words for all of us today. Amen. Lord, just help me to worship you in simplicity and truth, in purity and in truth. I want to walk with you today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because I can't control that. I can't change yesterday. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Resurrection Sunday is almost here. Moving through the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom of God and anxiety and how to overcome it in the words of Jesus. Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need, and we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up. Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday for the 6 a.m. sunrise service, the 8.30 service, 10.30 service, or for the Spanish-speaking service at 1 p.m. Remember, you can always tune into our YouTube channel If you are not available to join us live or locally, we have a YouTube channel and you can get to it at walkintruth.com. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Download the Living Truth app for more information or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. John Corson put it this way, the problem with living sacrifices as opposed to dead ones is we tend to squirm off the altar. <laughs> we start looking around, do I really want to be here? Do you know? <laughs> right? We all know what a struggle it is to keep representing ourselves and dying to the flesh, but that is the battle in the new covenant. And so this is the image. And God gives a little bit more detail through Moses. He says, if you make an altar 25 of stone for me, you shall not build it out of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. This is one author. He says, making altars out of square blocks, building step pyramids, worshiping naked. These are practices which were coming out of Mesopotamia. When the Canaanites worshiped idols, they did it on altars of finished stone, built high for show, as archaeologists have discovered. We also know that Canaanite worship was obscene, combining idolatry with ritual prostitution. We're going to see this The Israelites are actually going to do this later. And other forms of indecent exposure, hence the idea of not building steps, uh, not exposing yourself. The idea here is worship, if if you're taking notes, worship is to be filled with simplicity and purity. You see what just happened during this time of worship? It was simple and it was pure. Now, there, there's going to be a place for a grand edifice. Solomon's going to build a grand temple to the Lord. And there's place for extravagance in the Christian life, right? Unto God, to give extravagantly to his kingdom, to worship him, etc. But here, God says, I want you to be distinct from that world that makes it all about show. It's all about how the stones are cut. It's all about how high the, the place of sacrifice is. None of that with me. You keep it simple and you make it pure. And if you want to just simplify your Christian life, those are two words for all of us today. Amen? Lord, just help me to worship you in simplicity and truth, in purity and in truth. I want to walk with you today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because I can't control that. I can't change yesterday. 
that I'm going to be a living sacrifice. And someone came up to me after second service and said, you know, in these two offerings, the first one, the Ola, the second one is the Shalomim. It's from the word Shalom. It's a peace offering. And she said something like this. She said, you know, kind of what I saw in my heart was the, the burnt offering gives me forgiveness. And then the peace offering, it's like I, I received this peace back, this beautiful fellowship with God. And I'm like, amen. In fact, when we pray and we seek God with our problems, we're promised a peace that passes understanding, a peace offering, if you will. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see in these images, sweet-smelling aroma, all the pictures combine. But simplicity and purity is a beautiful way to go about your life, to worship God. And so um, much more will be said about the furnishings and the tabernacle as we move on in Exodus. But uh, this is the amazing picture that emerges here. Needs for mediation, need for an altar. And then God gives the warning about, you know, approaching him in the right way. Finally saying that your nakedness may not be exposed on, the, on that altar. And here's the, the beauty of the gospel. I'm found in him. I'm not going to be exposed on that day. Not all of my sin is going to be exposed, my nakedness, if you will, on that day because I'm covered by the righteousness of Christ. I have a righteousness now credited to my account simply by my faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness which comes not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. Two New Testament passages and we're done. First, turning over so we can get our title together to the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then we'll get ready to take the Lord's Supper together. Romans chapter 10. Now Paul's giving a whole treatment on the incredible riches of the gospel, and he's bemoaning the fact that his own people, that is the children of Israel that we're, we're studying in Exodus, they don't get it. Many of them don't understand. He says, Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire... Romans 10.1, and my prayer to God for them, Israel, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for what? For righteousness to everyone who does what? Who believes. Christ is the end of the law. To be right in God's sight, if you simply will place your faith in Jesus. Over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's talking about Jew and Gentile becoming one in Christ, one new man, one new community. And uh, he picks up some of these themes of the different offerings and so forth with these words, Ephesians 2.12. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ when you were an unbeliever. You were excluded, Ephesians 2.12, from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, if I could put it this way, standing at a distance have been brought near how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our shalom. He is our peace offering, if you like. 
There you have the, both the idea of burnt offering and peace offering right in the text. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What was the problem? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he, he might make the two into one new man or community, thus establishing shalom or peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity or what separates. And Hebrews 13.10 puts it this way. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, but we go out to Christ. He is our altar, if you will. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for the end of Exodus 20, the awesome display of your presence on Sinai. In an earlier study, we saw some of the possible locations and some of the things that are burnt around those locations, kind of really interesting. But ultimately, Lord, we know you came down and we know you're coming again. You're going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God to rescue your people, but to judge the world. Another day is coming much like this day. And in that day, I want to be found in him. I want to have an altar, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but a righteousness on the basis of faith. That's what Paul discovered. That's what we've discovered, Lord. All of us who are believers, we come to your altar and find a sacrifice has been paid in full at the cross and through the resurrection. We find the good news of the gospel. We find the hope that not only we've embraced, but we can proclaim from the housetops. We find the need of mediation. We find Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus capturing words from Philemon, verse 18. Father, charge it to my account. I will take your wrath. I will be the lamb. I will shed my blood from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me all alone? But underneath the crimson flow is a... The, the reality of a Savior who, by his blood, by his death, saves to the uttermost those who are perishing. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your Son. You've been listening to Christ is the End of the Law, Part 3, on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus twenty eighteen through 26. Now, you're invited to our Holy Week services this week. Pastor Michael is the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Pastor Michael hopes you attend your church's services, but if for some reason you are not able to attend, we're live streaming our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and our Easter Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. We like to call it Resurrection Sunday, but anyway... Get all the information you need by visiting walkintruth.com and click on church or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com and click on church. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Romans 8.1 says there's therefore now no 
condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Are you in Christ Jesus? What does that mean to be in him? You know, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You know, the promise to Abraham is given to all those who believe. That's the end of Galatians chapter 3. If you're in Christ, his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And one of the things that you want to do is cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. You see, Christians are adopted into the family of God by the finished work of Christ. Think of a dowry or a price paid for a bride, a bride price. In this case, we are the bride of Christ. Another image is we're the adopted children of God. And if you're in Christ, then there's no condemnation. God's no longer counting your sin against you. He counted it against his son. Are you in Jesus? If you are, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And if you're not, trust in him right now for your salvation. Tell him you believe that he died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. Tell him that you believe in who he is and who he claimed to be. He is a God who is faithful to save. And we're so glad that you're listening to a broadcast that proclaims the good news of the gospel. And join us tomorrow as we jump ahead in the book of Exodus to Pastor Michael's teaching in chapter 24 called The Blood of the Covenant. This is a teaching to hear as it's Holy Week and Pastor Michael will connect the Old Testament covenant and Jesus' sacrifice. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.